talking about the things that matter most. You're listening to Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Well, I noticed uh, over the... We were just talking about what it means to be human, and I thought, come up with something that's a little bit... I, I think it's humorous, which is efforts on the part of uh, PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, to uh, urge those interested in social justice to also fight what they call speciesism. Now, this is not an entirely new word. It's been, it's been around for a while. It hasn't really been adopted by too many people. Um, we're still dealing with ageism, right? And we're dealing with all other kinds of isms against particular humans then to stop the worry about species who we might be, quote, discriminating against. But speciesism, simply put, according to the People for the Ethical Treatment of uh, Animals, speciesism is a bias in favor of the human race over other animal races. Now, this, this in, on its face ought to make us stand up and say, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? I mean, what's wrong with a bias an inevitable bias in favor of the human race over other animal races. The fact that I have a bias in favor of the human doesn't mean I'm going to treat non-humans badly, right? It means I obviously have a bias because I happen to think that human beings do have uh, a certain priority or primacy in the world that, you know, cougars don't or, you know, mollusks don't. I mean, it's ageism, racism, misogyny, homophobia, ableism. Those are all things that we talk about in relationship to human beings, right? But speciesism really kind of crosses the boundary and all of a sudden includes um, non-human creatures uh, as supposedly on the same level of regard that we extend towards human beings. Now, this is this is a movement that's been. I don't think it's been, I don't know if it's been gaining in popularity. It certainly is. You never know with the internet. A lot of things you become aware of that you didn't know before. You don't know if they're necessarily things are becoming more popular. But uh, there certainly has been over the last fifteen twenty years a movement to try to secure rights, legal rights. Uh, legal rights for non-human creatures. Uh, Peter Singer, who we mentioned earlier, uh, has sought you know, rights for uh, higher-level creatures like chimps, which always makes me wonder, too, why are they higher? I mean, if, if they're higher, if you have a higher and a lower when you're evaluating the animal world, don't humans come out on top anyways? I mean, so. But this this whole movement towards the fight speciesism, uh, it's now reached, it has reached laughable proportions. I'm all for uh, rethinking how we treat other aspects of God's creation. So I don't think on the face of it, making sure that we treat the uh, non-human world with the respect and dignity that God would want. I don't think that's stupid or silly. I think we should. Uh, maybe we don't think often enough about what we owe the non-human created world. But having said that, they'd like us to rearrange our language so that um, 
we stop using words like pig, snake, and dog as insults. So they think this is this diminishes the worth and dignity of pigs, snakes, and dogs. Uh, so if you don't use the word chicken to mean coward any longer because that belittles chickens. And, and certainly don't use the word rat him out uh, to describe you know, what a snitch does because that's not, not nice to rats. And snakes, uh, they claim sn- calling somebody a snake means you're calling him a jerk, and that's not good for snakes. But I would say no. When I call somebody a snake, I don't mean that he's a jerk. I mean that he's a sleazeball. Um, so, which isn't good for snakes either, I suppose. But um, call somebody a pig, it means they're repulsive, so don't call anybody a pig. I generally don't call people pigs, so I, I kind of get off on that one. I do use chicken, I use rat, I use snake. And apparently you can't use the word uh, sloth to indicate a lazy person anymore because that insults, in, that insults a sloth. Well, you can see where this goes. Um, it's, again, another way of sanitizing our language based on, um, I don't know, very artificial uh, artificial contrivances on the part of an activist group. Years ago, I'll tell you what happened years ago. I, I had um, a person uh, from PETA on. His name was Bruce Frederick. This was back 1997, probably, 98, 97. He, PETA at that time had a big movement. They were taking big ads in newspapers and billboards and telling people that Jesus was a vegetarian. On the face of it, right, this, this ought to strike, if you're a reader of the New Testament, or have any idea of salvation history, you've you got to shake your head and say, well, wait a minute, why would you think Jesus is a vegetarian? By the way, let me, let me, let me just say that there are people I know who are vegetarian. In fact, I was a vegetarian for five years, back when I was 19 up until about 24. Um, that was before I was a Christian, and I, long, long story why that was the case. I don't regret it. Uh, it, was, it was interesting to be able to live within that kind of framework and it makes you a lot more conscious of what you do uh, can ingest. Um, but I, I always thought, well, okay, okay, you want to be a vegetarian because you don't want to visit unnecessary violence on animals. And, of course, in the kingdom of God, I don't know. Are we going to be eating beef in the kingdom of God? Are we going to be slaughtering animals to eat? My whole point is, look, if you want to be a vegetarian because you think that bears better witness to the kingdom of God because it creates a more peaceable uh, a person, a community, fine. I don't, I'm not arguing against that at all. If you want to do that, that's perfectly fine. But to claim that Jesus was a vegetarian really flies in the face of such so many biblical direct biblical passages, but also all kinds of uh, biblical emphases uh, and allusions. So, for instance, um, when God explains to Moses uh, and Aaron that, here, I'm giving you your dietary laws, and um, you're not supposed to eat the animal parts uh, of the hoof that's cloven-footed or a beast that chews the cud, okay? Um so you can't eat rabbits. Well, you don't, you don't forbid them from eating rabbits if, in fact, they're not a meat-eating people to begin with, 
right? They're distinguishing between meats, animals that you can eat, and animals that you can't eat. That's the, that's what lies behind the whole dietary laws of God's covenant people uh, in the Old Testament. I mean, even when, when Jesus um, sends his people out to spread the gospel, there's no jump to the New Testament, I'll be jumping around a little bit, but when he sends people out to spread the gospel, he says, you know, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. No distinction there that you should somehow avoid uh, meat, animals. Uh, you also have, of course, Jesus in Luke chapter 5 directing the apostles to go out and lower their nets. And what, they, what, are, they, what are they getting? They're not lowering their nets and getting you know, a good crop of broccoli. Uh, they're getting fish, presumably because they're going to sell fish and they're going to eat fish. Uh, we also have in, in uh, Mark chapter 7, and Mark actually gives us an interesting parenthetical, parenthetical statement here in Mark seven nineteen. He talks about the appropriateness of foods that could be eaten, and uh, Jesus says food that doesn't go into the heart but into the stomach and then out of the body. In other words, Jesus is talking about what defiles a man. What defiles a man is not what goes into the stomach. I mean, this was in a perfect place to say, listen, by the way, what defiles a man uh, are animals, you know, so stay away from that. This is was, was a perfect area to jump in because he's dealing with dietary restrictions, the Jewish dietary laws. Um, well, how about this? I mean, look, as we go to the, um, the Jesus' celebration of the Passover the, during Passion Week, Luke chapter 22, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover lamb is to be killed, right? Jesus says to Peter and John, go prepare this Passover lamb for us to eat. Okay, uh, you're going to have lamb that night. Uh, once the feast is prepared, Jesus and the apostles are you know, having their last supper, and Jesus also says, I've had a deep desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Not saying he wanted he had a deep desire because he wanted to eat lamb. That's not what I'm saying. But he had a deep desire to celebrate the Passover feast, the Passover festival, and the, the eating of the lamb, the slaying of the lamb, and the eating of the lamb is a major part of the Passover festival. And little facts too. After the flood, it is interesting that it's only after the flood apparently that um, we're given a carnivorous diet. I'm sure there's some deeply theological reasons for that. And I know that people have speculated on it. But uh, it's worth noting that God gave Noah a carnivorous diet uh, after the flood. Now, whatever reasons those would be, it is still that God gave a carnivorous diet. So one can't say that there's anything intrinsically immoral about eating animals since God gave Noah a carnivorous diet. You might say, well, he gave a carnivorous diet because of this condition or that condition subsequent to the flood. But the point is, he did it. You know, he, he, it was intrinsically evil to eat animals. Then he, God wouldn't have given it to him. Um, it's, it's throughout. So you get this whole, I mean, just also think about this. Peter must have a whole, I don't know if they ever get on this uh, trip, but what about the whole a practice of animal sacrifice, which is foundational to the Mosaic Covenant. It, it's, it's part of what it meant to be a faithful Hebrew. Uh, 
uh, it was part of what the Old Testament covenant was all about in its priesthood. Uh, if, in so- if somehow the ingesting of uh, animals and animal products is intrinsically immoral, then you've got the entire priesthood under the Old Covenant engaging in acts of animal sacrifice and then eating portions of the animal. And, of course, those who were bringing the animals to the priest to sacrifice, they're eating the animals as well. That's the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Uh, It presumes that it's legitimate to eat uh, uh, animal. So what can I say? That some people, St. Paul deals with this question of meat being sacrificed to idols. He doesn't go off into any discussion about vegetarianism there. would have been a perfect place uh, to in- introduce that there's a higher way, right? He could have said, you know, it's a higher way. Uh, if you want to eat meat sacrificed to idols, fine. If you don't want to eat meat sacrificed to idols, fine. But I give you a more excellent way. Stick with carrots and lettuce. You know, but he doesn't do that. Time and again, you have human beings seeking to be more ethical than God. And the people for the ethical treatment of animals, while you know, I hope in some way they have serve a purpose of making us a little more sensitized to unnecessary suffering among animals. The point is, any good they might accomplish in that regard ends up losing credibility when they make claims like they make in this idea of forbidding us to use the word dog, snake, pig. It's an insult to use that language as an insult to people. You're insulting snakes and dogs and pigs. 